1989, Nintendo launched the Game Boy. They said it wasn't humanly possible. All the power and excitement of Nintendo right in the palm of your hand. The handheld system allowed gamers to play on the go. It was a pocket-sized video game console which offered pocket-sized games. Take Super Mario, for example. On NES, Super Mario Bros. featured 32 stages. Its Game Boy equivalent, Super Mario Land, featured only 12 stages, pocket-sized. But games on the Game Boy didn't have to be small. The longer the system was on the market, the longer the games got. By 1992, the follow-up to Super Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, could match the original Super Mario Bros. 32 stages. Now you're playing with power, portable power. The following year, the Zelda team would prove a full Zelda adventure could fit on the tiny Game Boy screen. We're exploring it on the fourth season of Legendary Adventures. If you don't know, I'm Paul Riley, a Zelda fan exploring the evolution of the series by playing through each mainline Zelda release in release order. That means I'm excluding spin-offs and multiplayer-focused releases. Link's Awakening was released in 1993. Unlike past games where releases were staggered by a year or more, they were mere months between this game's release in Japan in June, its North American release in August, and its release in PAL regions in December. As mentioned, Link's Awakening marks the first release of a full Zelda adventure on a portable system. Zelda co-creator Takashi Tezuka directed the game. Shigeru Miyamoto is listed as a producer, but he admitted to being much less involved with Link's Awakening than with previous titles. In an interview published in the Japanese Strategy Guide for Ocarina of Time, Miyamoto said, My official title was producer, but the truth is I was mostly just monitoring everyone's work. He laughed. It was a very laid-back project for me. In a separate interview released in the Guide for Link's Awakening in Japan, Miyamoto stated that in addition to serving as producer, he was allowed to participate as a tester whose opinions carried a lot of weight for the latter half of the game's development. Tezuka describes the development of Link's Awakening starting as sort of an after-school club, with him and a few others on the team. In an Iwata Asks interview published in 2010, Tezuka said the whole thing started with programmer Kazuaki Morita, experimenting with a Game Boy development kit to see if he could make a Zelda-like game. Eventually, Tezuka and others joined in with his experiments. Tezuka said, We weren't particularly planning to make a Zelda game for the Game Boy, but we thought we'd try it out and see how it could work. So at first, there was no official project. We'd do our regular work during normal work hours, and then work on it. Tezuka also said the initial idea they had was to port a link to the past to the Game Boy, but the project took on a life of its own and eventually became an official project of the Zelda team. Tezuka's memory is a little fuzzy on some details, but he seems to think the transition happened in part because, quote, there was a lot left over that we still wanted to do, unquote, following a link to the past. Tezuka also states that while he was ultimately director of the game, he did not work on A Link to the Past from the very beginning. He says perhaps because of this, he had a strong desire to do more. Link's Awakening famously features characters and enemies from the Mario titles. This isn't unheard of. A Link to the Past featured both the Fire Bars and the Chain Chomp enemies which were first seen by the public in Mario games. Link's Awakening also includes Chain Chomps, however it takes it further. Players will run into Yoshi, Goombas, Piranha Plants, and Boos. Players will also meet a character named Terran, who looks similar to Mario and even turns into a raccoon at one point. There's also a chicken keeper who resembles Luigi. Mario characters aren't the only ones who appear. There's also an appearance from Kirby. Tezuka thinks they asked permission on that one, but his memory is fuzzy. There's also Dr. Wright from SimCity. 
and a character named Richard from a Japanese-only release. The title of that game is often translated to The Frog for Whom the Bell Tolls. Tezuka attributes the crossover appearances to the freewheeling after-school club mentality the game was started under. He said, We had so much fun making it, it was like we were making a parody of Zelda. As development continued on the game, Kensuke Tanabe and Yoshiaki Koizumi were brought in as writers. You'll recall that both worked on A Link to the Past, though Koizumi was primarily responsible for the manual. He produced a more fleshed-out backstory for that game as part of his work. Here, Koizumi played a much larger role. In an interview with Wired Magazine, Koizumi stated, The first real game I did work on was Link's Awakening, but at the same time I came in to write the manual, as I did with the previous game, but they had nothing in place. So I ended up making an entire story to go along with the game. The dream, the island, that was all mine. And so it was my first experience doing the kind of work that we would now call event design. But there were not too many people at that time with experience in that area, so I really had free reign to do what I wanted, so long as I didn't make Miyamoto angry. Link's Awakening has a much stronger emphasis on story and character than past games in the series. That perhaps does not come as a surprise, the story has been a stronger emphasis with each release to this point. Link's Awakening, however, steps it up to a whole new level. There is generally a more cinematic approach to its larger and more important story moments. Programmer Toshiaki Nakago said that A Link to the Past had a bit of a story, but a story running throughout the whole game really started with Link's Awakening. The Zelda team attributes the greater shift in focus to story to Koizumi, though it appears to me as an outsider that Tezuka and Tanabe also should perhaps get some credit for this. Tezuka recalls he was inspired by David Lynch's early 90s TV series Twin Peaks to put a greater emphasis on character. In the Iwata Asks interview, he said, At the time, Twin Peaks was rather popular. The drama was all about a small number of characters in a small town. So when it came to Link's Awakening, I wanted to make something like that. While it would be small enough in scope to easily understand, it would dive deep into distinctive characteristics. My log has something to tell you. Do you know it? I don't believe we've been introduced. I do not introduce the log. Tanabe stated in a developer interview, included with the Japanese strategy guide of the game, that he really tried to create characters with personality. He also stated that he thought the boss characters were excellent, even from the perspective of a staff member. Tezuka stated that the straw millionaire trading sequence was an invention of Tanabe's. This particular trading sequence allows many characters to shine with a number of moments of humor. The music for Link's Awakening was written by Kozue Ishikawa and Minako Hamano. The sound was programmed by Koizumi Totaka. The music features a number of variations on the Legend of Zelda theme and unique arrangements for each of the game's dungeons. It's best remembered, however, for a repeated theme throughout the game known as the Ballad of the Windfish. It's a lovely melody with an important part in the story. As stated, this is a full Zelda adventure. However, it is smaller in scope to its immediate predecessor. The impact, however, may be just as great, if not greater. It seems clear that Link's Awakening in particular was a favorite among the staff at Nintendo. It is perhaps one of the most remastered and remade and re-released games in the Zelda series. It was first remastered and re-released for Game Boy Color in 1998 as Link's Awakening Deluxe. The game's graphics were given a complete overhaul into full color. A number of hints were added to the game, there were tweaks to the dialogue, a new photo-taking gameplay element was added that was intended to be used with the Game Boy printer attachment, 
And there was a new optional dungeon, the Color Dungeon. The Deluxe Edition was re-released on Virtual Console in 2011, and in 2019, a full from the ground up remake was released for the Nintendo Switch. It featured enhanced fully polygonal graphics, a reworked musical score, and a number of gameplay changes and enhancements. There were more buttons to use on the Switch, which allowed for easier use of items. There were additional collectibles added, including fairy bottles. The minigames were reworked and expanded. The photo-taking mechanic was swapped out for a new chamber dungeon mode that allowed players to build their own dungeons. The original game was also re-released again in 2021 on The Legend of Zelda Game & Watch. For this playthrough, I played through both Link's Awakening Deluxe and the 2019 Switch Remake. That way I got to experience something close to the original, while also allowing me to comment on some of the changes and the unique features that were added into later versions of the game. Next week we'll dive into the start of the game with the first Dungeon Tale Cave. If you would like to follow along, please subscribe. Please also consider sharing this podcast with another Zelda fan. I'm Paul Riley. Thanks for listening.